Hi and welcome to the Village Traders Podcast. I'm your host, Njabulun Tsibandi. This podcast is aimed at helping you and experienced traders navigate the markets and learn from other traders. My guest today is Kia Nonyana from Think Markets. How are you doing, man? I'm great, man. How are you? Uh, all is well, man. All is well. Cannot complain <laughs> much. Thank you very much for borrowing us your time. Um, could you nah, no quickly problem. just take us through the journey into entering um, the financial markets mm-hmm. and what spiked your interest um, from when it started to now? Uh, I, I mean, I mean, uh, I think I came into specifically trading quite late in in my career as well as quite late in my life. Um, but in the, the, the journey with financial markets started off with just me just wanting to know about business. And and I remember back in grade six, seven, one of the most influential men in my life was my grade seven ecos teacher. And he just, at the time I was, I was, I was essentially selling books, secondhand books at school. And when I was selling secondhand books, he's the one who really challenged my mind in terms of getting to learn more about business. And from that point in time, I knew I wanted to be in business. I didn't know where in business, didn't know what I wanted to do. I just wanted to be in business. Mm-hmm. Furthermore, going going over times, I think in my mid-teens, um, I, I started realizing that there's money in financial markets. So, I mean, if this thing, if this phenomenon is alive 24 hours a day, people are exchanging money. Uh, I'm sure that would be the best place to go learn how to make money. And from there, I, I, I guess I started watching business TV, came across names like David Shapiro, Simon Brown, uh, Wayne McCurry, my favorite, Clelo Kiyose, he was the value chief at Stanlib. And my, my interest got sparked from then to, into the financial markets. And uh, from that point in time, which was probably 12, 13 years ago, that was when I, I knew that I wanted to be a portfolio manager. Uh, but I, I didn't know about the, 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 the vastness of the financial markets and the different things you can do in the financial market. So I was set my mind on being a portfolio manager and then further on uh, wanted to be a portfolio manager. So I went to school to study um, the matter finance. And then from there, still wanted to be a portfolio manager up until I went through a winter program where I got introduced to trading. And... As as you would say, the rest is history. Um, from there, <laughs> from there, uh, kind of changed my my whole view on the markets. From being a portfolio manager, being an investor, and and and, and I got introduced to derivatives as well at the time. And the moment I moment I left Varsity, I joined a derivatives trading desk at one of, at one of the international banks. Wow, nice. That's uh, that's quite an interesting story. Um, has does does your trading in any way affected by your history in terms of learning portfolio management? Of course, um, I mean essentially, and and it, it just comes down to what I do trade. Um, I like single stocks um, because I, I I find that it's easier to understand them than understanding something like FX uh, or the oil market because they are they are real true fundamentals that you can go off and the market does rate r- rather well whether it is investing or it's in trading single stocks just make better sense for me as well as equity indices so yeah, th- th- that's how it's affected that's how it's affected uh, my trading and. Um, 
uh, if you ask me, uh, I, you, you'll barely ever see me take any FX positions or commodity positions, even though sometimes I do, if I do see momentum on any one side, which has a bias to the downside or the upside. But majority of what I, what I do trade would be single stocks and uh, equity indices, just purely from wanting to be a portfolio manager. Okay. Are you, are you uh, more of a technical analysis or a fundamental, fundamental or combination of both? Well, well, I, I'd say the bias would lie to fundamental, probably a, a, at an 85 to 15 level. Um, as I use, I use technical indicators just for confirmation of my fundamental bias. So even when I'm trading something where I'm seeing price action or even momentum in a stock I'll, I'll confirm it with a technical indicator but you can necessarily you can actually see where, where the momentum is coming from just purely at a fundamental basis maybe a stock has had a good run just purely because the interest rate parity between the u.s and south africa is, is great so financials will be will, will, will have some impetus to on the upside in momentum but then i'll use a momentum indicator to come back and confirm that to myself if you understand what I'm saying. Oh, okay, got you, got you. Yeah. And, uh, so, so my bias would be still very fundamental. Oh, okay. So you're still more or less a st- portfolio manager, but kind of like a hedge fund manager now, instead of just a long essentially company, uh, taking long only positions. Essentially, so I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's a fascinating space. I mean, the hedge funds, I mean, the South African hedge fund space is, is quite limited just purely because people see it as a very risky space. But I mean, they, they, they are pro hedge funds and they retail hedge funds and retail hedge funds um, have different rules to, to professional hedge funds. And the things that they, they essentially do, I mean, they think that the hedge fund manager just essentially shorts. Hedge fund managers has have different tools that they can use in their portfolios in order to, to, to generate their alpha. So, I mean, I think it's an interesting space. So it's, as you said, I'm more of a hedge, going into head into how to manage a hedge fund when I'm, I'm, I'm placing trades. Okay, cool. And uh, can you just take me through your strategy and how you look for opportunities? So, 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 so I, in terms of me and, and something that I think my team as well has started to see is that I, in single stock, I like trading events. So you, you'll find that at times I won't even trade for three months. Um, and I'll particularly start trading events. So we'll start trading either reporting events when we know that um, maybe clicks is reporting, clicks come out of the trading statement. We'll trade those events and look at price, event, price action and momentum. Uh, and then I'll, I'll, I'll also the strategies that I also follow would be, I, I start looking at hypothesis. And at that level, I, I'll make a fundamental case, almost like an investment case. But in this mm-hmm. regard, I'll say it's a trading case. And that trading case will range in, in between four weeks and maybe six months. In my opinion, six month trades to the trade. So, so then we start looking for anomalies in pricing. So I'd essentially start looking at maybe in a sector, four of the banks. So we'll say three of the banks have performed well, but there's a lagger in the in the market. Let's say some something. Let's just use a case in point right now. NetBank. NetBank has lagged Absa, Standard Bank, and First Rand over the past three, four, five, six months. And if you're seeing that there's a general uh, aversion to take on positions in first 
civil I saw it in Standard Bank, then I saw it people getting into FSR into first rand, and then they got later on they started moving ABSA up. And now when NetBank caught up, I mean it's done forty five percent in the past in about the past eight days and a half. Yeah. In eight days, so, so you get what I'm saying. So it's not for the, So essentially, it, it the sector itself has been getting some action. It has been getting some price action. So Standard Bank was first to move. Came FSR, then came ABG, and then lastly came NBK, NetBank. So essentially, it would be a case in point like that, where for some time you're seeing there's quite there's quite some. Some, some 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 bias in this in 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 is in this in the sector, and then the strategy would go put some money on the least loved, or chase up the one that's loved the most. Standard Bank's still running right now. Over the past week, it's not done the forty five percent, but you could have chosen any one of those, just purely looking at the bias of the sector, and look at the the, the looking at looking at how the sector over the past three, four months was not necessarily on the buying list of most uh, market participants. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's a great example of, of uh, um, a long opportunity. And what about the short opportunity? Well, what do you look for in terms of when you're looking for to, to short a stock? So in WF, for me, shorting works very differently to everyone else. So, I mean, the first thing that I ever learned from my, one of my first boss was Ed Shack. And Ed Shack used to say that you can be right and the market's wrong and you lose money. You could be wrong and the market's right and you make money. And essentially, that's how I think about shorting. For me, shorting comes at, at a very different level. Shorting comes in, in a sense where I, I don't like shorting just purely because the market is always going up. I look at the success of the, 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 the best hedge funds over time. And do you know, over the past 10 years, there's only been one short only hedge fund that's ever made money in the investment universe in the US. One short only hedge fund that's made money. So a probability tells you if you're going to go short, you're probably going to come with the tail between your between your legs. So uh, I'll use shorting in different ways. Um, so let's say there's maybe an interest rate differential mm-hmm. between, let's say, the US, um, uh, between, let's say there's an interest rate differential between what I'm charged to borrow and what I get paid when I short. So let's take into account something like Think Markets. So Think Markets will be charging one and a half to short, uh, one and a half as an admin fee. And then the South African SABO uh, is run about, about 3.25. So essentially you're making risk-free profit of about two, it's about two, uh, 2.25%. So I'll start shorting stock that I know won't move. So I'll go into defensives. So I'll take a very defensive play, maybe take an insurance firm and short insurance firm where I know even if I do have some upside risk to that short, it's still not going to crack 2.25, right? Oh, gotcha. And that's just looking, and essentially I'll just make that interest and I'll live of that interest over the year because I know that that's not, I know that there's some stocks on the JC which just don't move. They stay where they are. You come look at it three months later, it's still where it is. The upside risk for you to lose money on that trade very little. So, I mean, you go into very defensive, the, the British American tobaccos, 
even some of our banks um, were had defensive natures in them before. Uh, but um, they, it did recently change um, after COVID. But you look at our financials like um, DSY, you look at uh, Liberty Group, those stocks don't move. So I'll short those stocks and just make a risk-free 2.245%, in my opinion. Oh, okay, I think it's gotcha. risk-free. So I'll, I'll use shorting in, in those sort of ways. But but an ultimate short, I've gotten burned way too much on shorts. <laughs> yeah, so short, short, just, uh, uh, yeah, uh, it makes a beast. You know, as they always say, <laughs> the markets go crazy volatile when, when, uh, when they go down. Essentially, the, 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 the correlation when the market goes down is one. Everything goes <laughs> down. And uh, sometimes that risk, is, that risk uh, that gives you sleepless nights. Yeah, yeah. We'll touch on risk management in, in, in just a bit. Right. So when, when um, you when like, for, for example, results uh, season is coming, do you look at mm-hmm. the charts and make a, a, a bullish or bearish bias prior to the results coming out so that you can like, kind of place, pre-place your, or build your thesis as it were? No, so my thesis will build before, but I'm not going to get into any trade before the results are out. If 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 you've genuinely seen, um, so it's it's something that I, I, I on on my webinar with Simon I said uh, is that people take time to digest results. It's usually a day or two. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm not gonna get into a trade before. I'm gonna trade get into a trade after. Once those are d- d- digested, you know there's something called the smart money index, uh, also used interchangeably on on retail trading charge called the money flow index. So essentially, it, 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 the index essentially tells you where institutional money is going. And I mean, let's say I have 10,000 rand in my account. Alan Gray has 500 billion. So when Alan Gray get, takes in a position in a bank, they, they come in big. So I want to almost ride that wave. So I give them time to either, I'll give institutions time to either decide on selling, decide on buying, and then I'll join that wave. And it usually happens a day, 24, 48 hours after results. And then you'll see that momentum kind of change, whether it was really trading in ranges, now it'll break out, whether, uh, whether it was the momentum was going to the downside, now the momentum just starts changing, goes to the upside. So I really wait, when I'm trading those events, I'll wait for events like that, a day, maybe for 24, 48 hours after the fact. Oh, okay. Yeah, the, the, the reason why I'm asking is, is, is because more, quite often, uh, um, I've noticed, it doesn't happen all the time, obviously, but quite often, mm-hmm. you'd find that when you look at um, technical uh, setups, they, get, they then get confirmed or have results act as a catalyst to, to, yes. um, to, 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 uh, to that move. So that, that, that was what I was asking, yeah. Uh, you're right uh, in in that analysis. Uh, that that confirmation will probably come up once the market, because the market before results is really in limbo. I mean, it really is a tug of war between people, buyers and sellers. And I mean, uh, that that's why you'll probably see ranges uh, prior to those results. Now, trying to 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 predict a break uh, a breakout when uh, when a stock has been trading in ranges is kind of difficult, and the majority of the time you'll probably get it wrong. So the confirmation really comes at the result time, and then you can then position yourself better after that. Yeah, because it has happened. So for me, I'm purely just technical analysis, but right. some of the trades have been, uh, uh, you know, 
add some petrol, buy the results, or buy some trading update. Um, an example, yes. still trade that I was on, you know, was fairly, it was trading in a range for a long, long while, and then the trading update came, it pushed the trade uh, yes. in, in my direction. Similarly with Sasso, you know, I, I traded a breakout, so results came, it killed me, I was on the wrong side of, of, of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, as I, as I was saying that, but more often than not, you'd find that the 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 charts will then be confirmed by the results. So that was why I was asking if you look at the charts prior to uh, to the results. So, so, so you see me, you see something like Cecil. So, so I mean, uh, it's, it's a really good example where, where there, there was confirmation on the chart at results time. But for me, because of the way I look at risk, I would have never touched Cecil fundamentally. Fundamentally, I would have stayed the other, like literally I would have been across the Atlantic from Sasol. And essentially that's been my stance since February. I, even if there are confirmations, even if there seems to be great fundamental shift either in them reducing debt, I will never touch Sasol. And that's just from a bias of where I view their risks fundamentally. Oh, okay. okay. So you see what I'm saying? Even if I got the chart confirmation, I mean, you, you may be able to see a breakout on Sarasol, but I'll never touch it, even if the chart confirms it for me. Oh, got you, got you. Um, and uh, uh, how do you look at, at, at risk management? Um, is it similar to, you know, most of us, you know, my entries here, target here, 2% and whatever the case is? So, so as I said to you, my, my, my background, look, this there's something I said to 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 Simon on I think one of his first um, first uh, episodes on on the recent webinar series, and and I, I said to him, does he use time as as a mitigator of risk? So because I come from from an equity derivatives background and primarily a non-linear equity derivatives, so I'm talking about options. I see, I see how the market now prices probability of time, right? Mm -hmm. So there's something called theta risk in options pricing. I know I'm, I may be losing you. So, but, um, so theta risk for me tells you how much the market now values time in, in terms of uh, the risk that an option writer takes on. So for me, as I said to you, I do not take trades primarily which are less than two weeks. So I use time as one of, the, of my, as my biggest determinant in how I manage my risk. The longer dated I can have my time, the better my risk is because essentially what options pricing says is the, the longer you give somebody time for the option to be in the money, the more risk essentially the options writer is taking and the more risk he needs to be compensated. And essentially, I'm just using that principle, um, especially in my long-term trades. But it, it, in a short-term trade where I'm just probably trading results, I'll just use the 1% rule. I'm not going to risk anything more than 1% of my capital because the expected return probably is not uh, enough to justify the risk of taking more than 1%. Oh, got you, got you. And then yeah. on the longer, so longer time frame, do different. you have a percentage risk that you're willing to take on in terms of your... Uh, account equity so the account equity i push that up i push that up to four percent and there's just purely looking at uh the longer the longer time frame i give a stock to get into 
uh, a positive, the, the higher my expected rate of return. So hence the probability increases for that, for that trade to be in the money. So I'll, I'll use 4% on that. I'll, I'll, I, I quadruple my risk frame for trades over six months. Oh, okay. And then what's, what's your methodology yes. or methods of placing stop losses? Do you place a market order stop or at close kind of stop? Um, so I, for me, I'd use market order. The moment it hits my, it, it hits, it, it hits that level. I need to get out of the trade. So it's a market order. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, I quite prefer market order as well. Enough of the market order. <laughs> get me out of that trade. Um, I don't want to be in it anymore. Please get me out. Okay. Uh, what, what are some of the common mistakes that you see, uh, uh, uh clients make, whether it's think markets or, uh, your prior employees. Essentially, for me, for for me, the, the common kind of mistakes that 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 you see is 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 not not knowing when to to cut off a trade, uh, because traders most of the time lose money. Your your winning trades n- need you to have quite a lot of discipline so that you back those profits. Mm-hmm. The problem is a person will expect five percent from a trade. But once they see it go to 7%, they want to hold it. And then it gets to 7% and comes back down to 4% and they think it's going to go back to 7%. And essentially for me, it's, it's that discipline in knowing when to cut off your winning trades. I've seen people keep their they, they, they losses way too long as well. Um, so it's, it, it, it's the same on both sides. People keeping, uh, keeping their winners for too long, people keeping their losers for way too long as well. Uh, because just purely they want to make up so much on their winners that if they expected to make 5% and they see it at 7%, they want to keep it so it gets to 10%. Rather than, and for me as well, knowing what you're trading is very important. Uh, in terms of like something, let's say the top 40 index, knowing exactly what's in the top 40 index kind of matters because you may think it's 40 equal size start. Essentially, 20% of what you're trading is NASPAS. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 so it's those sort of intricacies that will tell you how something is, 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 is traded and, some, and, and how it, 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 the, the effects of one single stock is going to affect that index. Let's just go across the pond and go to 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 Wall Street. <laughs> Wall Street is a price weighted index, but the, the because the, the the because of the size of the prices of the tech companies, it's not it, it it's thirty stocks, but they're not equally weighted. You essentially also still buying stock the the tech companies. The stocks, yeah. So I mean, when you're making that the 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 the, the, the fang stocks, you're essentially still almost taking. Uh, uh, it has a bigger, it has a bigger component of industrials and financials, but you're essentially still buying the fangs. So when you're maybe taking a, a view on Wall Street versus Nasdaq, you kind of actually trading the same characteristics, in my opinion. Some other people may think differently, but um, it's just by knowing the components of that equity index that you're able to make your 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 general hypothesis from. Yeah, got you. So there's always uh, uh, um, 
at least when I'm chatting to, to, to different traders, some, some have your opinion to say, man, just take your winners as they come. And then some say, uh, just let those winners run. And it, so where I'm guessing on you, you're standing on, on the fence where just take your winners as they come. Um, how do you then emotionally handle taking a winner and seeing it run? Essentially, that was not my profit to make. And that's how I look at it. There's no uh, disappointment because that was not my profit to make. Uh, I, I, it, it's, it's no fear of missing out on a stock because, as I said, if, 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 my, if, if my expected return was 5%, that's all I was expected to make. Now, if it goes to 10% and I'm out that trade, that next 5% was never mine to make. It's, all, it's almost for me, it's not even an opportunity cost. It's, it's a cost that was never supposed to tax me at all. So I, I, emotionally, I wouldn't even be deterred by that. Because the problem about it is that that one trade that went 45% like NetBank, the next trade goes 10% and then drops 11%. Now you're, lo you're losing money. Mm -hmm. And the moment you realize that that profit was never mine to make, you kind of live with it. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And uh, just, uh, just as we, we, we close, um, what are some of the things that you know now, now that you're older and wiser, that you wish you knew when you started trading, especially in the derivative space? I think for me, that was the first question that I think stumped me. I'm, I'm quite stumped. Can I have a moment to think? <laughs> let me think. Yeah, let me think. Let me think. What, what, what do I know now that I think could have helped me earlier on? Um, But for for me, I, I think because I think what I know now is that, that there are many more market participants that then that have a lot of money that I don't have. I think and 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 that comes to 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 before when I'd make an analysis of the market, maybe I think a stock is overpriced, mm -hmm. and I'd I'd immediately put in a short, right? Mm -hmm. And the market would run after that and run for months, you know, um, and run for months. And I'd probably be right. The market would be oversold, uh, or would be overbought. And I'm right in my analysis that this stock is overvalued. But because I just didn't have enough money at the time to change that trend, I had to wait for that trend, wow. you know. And, and, and it's, it's that realization that, Kia, you actually don't have enough money to change trends or change momentum in a stock. Rather wait for that momentum to change or the trend to change and then and then join that trend. Oh, I think okay. that's one lesson that I, th I think it's, 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 it's the fact that you just don't have enough money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and anyone can just negate your analysis. They will neg negate your analysis. For, for, and the problem is it's for the longest of time. It can negate your analysis for six months. Yeah. And then one day you wake up, the stock drops and you're like, I was right. But at that time, you were wrong for six liquidity. months and right for one day. <laughs> you were wrong for six months and you've burnt your liquidity. Yeah. The, and, and, the, the market has more liquidity to outlast your analysis. And that's it. Yeah. And I think a, a, a great example would be Capitec. And because a, a bunch of uh, pundits have been calling Capitec too expensive for the longest of time. 
for the longest time. I mean, I was one. I don't like to you in May. I, I, in May, I think it gave some back towards June. Uh, but from there onwards, it's just rebounded. Uh, Capitec is probably one, one, one way I, I'm, I'm, I'm like most pundits with just gotten it wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Kia, man, uh, thank you very much for your time. And before we close, if you have any book recommendations that uh, you would recommend for newbie traders or even experienced traders that uh, has helped you in, in your trading journey. In my trading journey, it's like, while well, you're talking about um, just books, books that people would be reading for fun or just stuff that they need to just... <laughs> Um, keep reading up on because I'm really big on just expanding general knowledge uh, because most of m- most of the companies that you're analyzing are probably in, in, in sectors that you never know and I'm big on that but um, I think if I had to recommend one book which has helped me over time and I got it as a gift from my teacher as I said the guy that really influenced me it, for me it'll be The Alchemy of Finance by George, by George Soros Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yes. Now, Kiamen, thank you, thank you very much for your time. We can park it here unless you have uh, anything to add. Nah, that that that's all from my side. Okay, cool. Thank you very much, man. Um, that's it for the right, Village Trader you. this week. Uh, be sure not to miss another episode of the Village Trader by subscribing on your favorite podcatcher. We are on any podcatcher that good podcasts are aggregated. Uh, subscribe on the website villagetrader.coza. Catch us every Wednesday with Think Markets, um, 5.30, link to those in the show notes below. Thank you very much. Uh, check you next time on The Village Trader. Cheers. <laughs>